It's good to be with you tonight and um, this morning in the services, uh, Nick had spoke um, about the fact of the root of bitterness. When he spoke this morning, it really touched my heart. It was good to be in worship and just sitting there as Chris was leading in worship. It was just kind of one of those things where I've been able to open my heart this week and just kind of let God have that place that I need to have him in my life. Um, there's a lot of times when Jeff likes to try to manipulate God and get God to do the things that he wants him to do. And what I find out is Jeff's usually falling flat on his face. But I was so, so pumped because Wednesday when I sit there in my office and I was praying a little bit and I asked God, I said, what am I going to speak about? How are we going to, to, to bring about... He laid on something on my heart that is really, really close to me, and it's in the book of Hebrews. It starts in chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to be reading it to you in just a little bit. Um, But it really deals with this idea of a race that we run. It's Sunday night. You're about 6.20 right now. How many of you have to go home tonight and get ready to go to work tomorrow? How many of you have to go to school tomorrow? Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to remind you of that. Hope all your homework's done. You still have a couple hours. Um, There's always this sense that when I get to Sunday night, I get home after either a deacon's meeting or a facilitating meeting or whether I've just been out to somebody's house visiting with them, that I sit down and I try to look and unpack what my week is going to look like. And I'm trying to figure out ahead of time how I'm going to go across every bump and handle everything. And that usually does not work out very well. Because when I find out on Monday morning I come into the office, everything gets turned upside down. Uh, I'm dealing with people and and trying to uh, do some ministry things. Um, But my life gets turned upside down because... I have a daughter that plays high school basketball. And what that means for me is anytime that coach says we got to go practice, I go practice. And what that means is somewhere in that day, um, I'm going to have to fit that in and out because um, she's not old enough to drive, nor I do, do I want her to drive, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> she doesn't have an older brother who has his license yet, which baffles me. But um, so... <laughs> So dad is the master transportation person because mom has a job where she just can't pack up and leave work. And it's good. And I have all these things that run through my mind about trying to get done. And when I read these verses that we're going to talk about tonight, I'm always thinking about the race that I'm running. Now, I know Ethan's here, and Ethan can vouch for this. At one time in our youth group, how many runners did we have? Twelve? 12, 13 of the cross-country team from Connor High School. Cooper didn't exist. And it was really a neat time because a, a great group of young men, being young men, carrying on, but it was all about running. And for those of you that know anything about my story, I'll, I'll quickly catch up in case you don't. Uh, my thing in high school was basketball until my senior year. And when I got to my senior year, I made the team and I went home and told my dad I'm going to quit. My dad was going to well, what's wrong with you, boy? You know, it's one of those things where he's going to slap some sense into me. And I said, I'm burnt out. I said, I've been playing it since I was a little kid all the way through. I just, 
I don't have that interest to pay. And he looks at me and he goes, well, you're going to college. And he says, and you have to do something while you're here in the house. So I went back to school the next day, told the basketball coach. I still uh, went with the basketball team. I did some stats for them that year, but I went into training that winter and started running. Never did run. And when I got done running, I ran the 400 for Campbell County, went to state in it, and I was pretty pumped. I was going, and it actually got me into college. It wasn't my grades. So as I got into college, I had this, this runner's mentality. Fast forward to now that I'm 40, I think it was, I was 44 years old, and my oldest daughter started running cross country. And it was really neat because I'd spent the majority in my youth time over here with a bunch of guys that ran, but Brianna wanted to run. So we started in a running program, running cross country, which I knew meant that I was going to be running with her, not in training, but across the cross country course. And that whole running perspective really, really opens up into my Christian life. Because, like I said before, Sunday nights, I'm trying to plan out, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to run the race this week. And a lot of times we get sidetracked, whether we're Christians or not, doesn't matter, because we start to believe that when we become a Christian, everything magically gets smoother. It's like going out on a rocky road, travel it, and you can't wait till you get to pavement, because it's flat, you don't have to worry about tripping. And I'll be honest with you, when I was a kid growing up, when I was 12 years old and I made my profession of faith and I was baptized, there was a part of me that thought, well, life's going to get a whole lot easier now. And life hadn't been easy. It's not been horrible. There's been a lot of tough situations. And I think that you probably can relate somewhere in your life to this, that something unexpected pops up. Um, for me, at this age, I've experienced uh, loved ones dying. I experienced a mother going through uh, a battle with cancer. I've experienced a child being born and having a knot, not knowing what it is until the doctors could figure it out and, and living through a cycle that it's, it's really hard as a parent because every day I watch my kids go out the door and I'm afraid for their safety. Not that I don't trust everybody, but I just know the way this world is. Um, but the biggest part was ministry because as I've dealt with people over the years, especially people that they teetered on whether they wanted to accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, I see them bouncing back and saying, I'll get to it later, and I'll get to it later. And I know that usually it never comes, and it breaks my heart. So tonight as I read these verses, just wanted to talk to you a little bit about, and I think that you're going to enjoy one video that we're going to play with somebody that this generation can connect with if you have any kind of idea about HGTV. Anybody in here watch HGTV? Uh, anybody into that remodeling, flipping thing they can't get enough of? Yeah, okay. So you're going to know who this person is. And a lot of people don't realize that her and her husband are Christians. But Chip and Joanne, um, she has a wonderful testimony about how her faith has played into her work. And, I, I mean, when I heard it, I, it really moved me, um, just coming from the background that she did in trying to get through the world. So I'm going to open my Bible up. If you have one with you, that's fine. 
but I'm starting in Hebrews chapter 12, and the verse simply says this. In verse 1 it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance and run the race marked out for us. Has anybody been around a cross-country course? Cross country courses are. Well, there you go. Well, when you ran track, you had the same thing. Yeah. You had, in track, it's different than cross country. I never ran cross country in college or high school, but I ran track. And we always started off in starting blocks. And I can remember starting blocks being these metal apparatuses when they first gave me my set of blocks. And you had to get down and they taught you how to position yourself on the ground. And one of the things that I'm taking on this year, I'm going to try to teach a couple of girls how to be able to do this. So I'm going back to my mind and trying to remember all the situations. But if you guys can take the image, even if it's the Olympics, when you watch these runners get up in their blocks, there's that anticipation that comes up. And when they're sitting there, they go through an entire routine of... um, picturing the entire race in their mind and how every step is going to happen. Happens a lot in hurdles. You visualize what you're going to do before you even get there. And a lot of times in my life, I like to visualize the way that my week or my life is going to pan out. And what I usually find out is that my vision and God's vision don't necessarily match up. And it's not because I'm a horrible person and I'm doing all this stuff, but it's like this verse says, that when I start a race, when I, when I get down in the blocks and I get ready to start, I have to have the ability to throw off the stuff that's going to pull at me, the sin that entangles me. Because when I run a race, and I want a race um, for God's benefit, I want to I reach the prize, I want to do it all the way through my life, I know that tough things are going to come and they're going to knock me offside and and they might knock me out of my lane a little bit. Or sometimes one hurdle might be set up higher than the other ones and it's a little bit harder to get past that point in time in my life. But if I go into it where just as soon as I meet a little bit of difficulty, I'm throwing up my hands and giving up, I'm not going to get anywhere, especially with my relationship with God. Personally, what does that look like? Probably the biggest thing is dealing with people. That is a pastor, what I'm blessed to do is I get to spend time with people. And just, I know you can't imagine this because you probably don't have this in your life, but there are people that you are not going to rub you the right way in the things that you think. There are people that probably think just the opposite you do in life. Spend two minutes on Facebook and you'll see some of those idiots. I mean, you know, I mean, they're, they're posting anything. But as I sit there and, and I think about the people that would rub me the wrong way, it wouldn't be very good of me as a pastor just to say, you know what, they're not worth it and toss them off to the side. Because I have to remember the situation, the problems I have usually isn't about me. It's something else that they've struggled with in their life. Maybe something that they haven't had an understanding for in their life. And it breaks my heart because instead of being very obvious to them, if they're not brought up in church, and I was blessed to do that, 
it becomes very easy for them just to take the negative attitude, throw up their hands, and walk off the course. Now, I'll tell you this. In college, I had that happen. I was running a race at Center College. And there was a guy that was running ahead of me, and I can't remember if he was from Berea um, or if he was from Center. And we came into the last stretch, and as I came around the curb, I passed him. And when I passed him, all I heard was this, uh, and he was moving to the back of the pack. Now, I was not the first place person in this heat, but it was, it was one of those deals where you run preliminary heats. But as I moved past him, I heard the exhale. And when I got done, I turned around, and he is still on a quarter behind me. He gave up. I never thought you could do that. I'm going, I don't think I've ever seen it. You never see it in the Olympics. Usually you hear the heroic stories, unless it's an injury or something like that, that they'll jog around and, you know, and everybody's applauding at the end. It's one of the reasons why I absolutely, positively love cross-country as a sport. Because in cross-country, um, when it boils down to it, everybody says you're going to state, and everybody gets excited about state. And then you get up on the line at state, and... Ethan knows this, there's, what, a thousand people standing on the line with you. And then you realize that you're one of 1,000, and your odds of winning are <laughs> diminished. I ran a 5K last year with Kendra in Nashville, and I remember we were in Corral J, and I'm sitting there thinking how many letters are in front of this and how many hundreds of people are in the corrals in front of us. And when they started it, you know, the people that are really in shape and great runners, they take off running, and here I go. I, I literally had to stand there and watching people running out ahead of me because my, my whole corral hadn't left yet, and I'm going, wait a minute, this is not right. I'm a runner. I hear a gun, I'm supposed to run. But if I did that, I would knock over the ladies that are dressed in tutus over in front of me. I started pushing through them. But that's the way it is in a race. We have an idea that we got to keep on going. we got to keep on pushing. And the one thing that I want to tell you is this. That no matter how bad the struggles are, when I read a piece of scripture like this, I realize what it's saying to my heart. And that's saying that the tough race, I'm not running it by myself. I have to have the knowledge that God is running it right alongside of me. There's a lot of times in my life when somebody will say, hey, why don't you do this, and why don't you do that, and, and give me all these ideas, and my mind will start going, yeah, why don't I do that? And I end up talking myself out of them before I even take it to God and give him the chance to show me how it might work. Relationships are like that. I talk to so many people in the relationships that you know what um, they made me mad so I'm out drop the microphone out the door and you know what relationships are hard they are and the only good relationships when you when you enter into them and you've got God standing beside you you have someone that's encouraging you to work on it even when it goes against the person that you are there's a piece in scripture that talks about ironing, sharpening, ironing. It's, it's when two things rub together and they become sharper. 
And as it becomes sharper, it's more effective. It becomes a tool, something you can use. And that's the way it is in relationships. So as you rub against each other, whether it just be a friendship that you just threw away, whether it be um, in the home, whether it be with children, whatever it is, as they rub one another, it can become more effective because God can use that in a way that is going to make a difference in other people's lives. It's incredible, really, because a lot of times we don't have a vision of what God wants to do in our lives. And the one thing that I want, oh, we're going to go ahead and play that video now. And I want you to listen to her. She gives a little bit of her testimony, but she's going to talk about the fact that God had a plan in her life. And her confidence is probably not where it needed to be with God, but she got there. Go ahead and play that, Evan. I remember as a little girl, my mom was Korean and my father was Caucasian, and I never knew there was anything different about myself until I started going to school, and I'll never forget an experience I had with a school lunchroom. You know, I remember standing there and seeing the sea of people, but like all eyes were on me, and I was thinking, you know, who's going to be my friend? Who am I going to sit with? I started walking through that lunchroom, and then I remember darting straight out, and I found a bathroom, locked myself in a stall. Uh, but, but in those moments is when I really believe that that's where the lie was sown, uh, that who I was wasn't good enough. You know, as we all do, I grew up and I grew out of the insecurities, had great friends, great childhood. And I remember in those times, I, I heard him specifically say, you know, Joanna, I have a calling for you. You're going to have a platform one day. And I remember thinking, what does that even mean? And I remember hearing God say, Joanna, there's going to come a time where I'm going to say for you to go, and I'm going to need you to step out and go. After graduating college, you know, a couple years later, I end up meeting this handsome, rugged cowboy who was hilarious, uh, Chip Gaines. And we got married, and he knew that I had this whole thing of businesses that I wanted to start, but he also knew I was never going to just take the risk and start them. I just dreamed about them. And he really encouraged me to step out and make one of those dreams happen. And we opened Magnolia Market together, and I loved it. You know, but at that time, I was also pregnant with my second child, and I really felt like God was saying, hey, I want you home. I want you raising these babies at home at this age. And I remember the last day, you know, we're closing the shop down and I'm crying because again, I feel like it's the end of a dream. And I hear God say very clearly, he said, Joanna, if you trust me with your dreams, I'm going to take Magnolia further than you could have ever dreamed. So just trust me. And I remember hearing that and feeling completely peaceful about it. And I walked away. Well, a couple years ago, we get this call um, from a production company and they ask us to film a quick video of our family and what we do as a business and that turned into um, the show that we have now. You know, Chip and I laugh, we look back and we just go, how did this all happen? And I remember last year um, in January, Chip and I took a trip to Arizona and, and we were driving around and we found this really beautiful garden and Chip said, I'm going to drop you off here, I'm going to give you about an hour and I want you to kind of reflect on the year before and then just let God speak to you about what this next year is going to look like. And he dropped me off and I'm sitting under this tree 
And I, I felt like God said, Joe, it's time. And I was like, time for what? And he said, it's time to reopen your store. And I said, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And just cool and calm, no, it's time. May of last year, we reopened the shop on Bosky, the little shop on Bosky. And now I look back and I go, God, your promise that you spoke years ago, I'm now seeing. Um, I trusted you with my dream and you've taken it far beyond what I could have ever dreamed or imagined. You know, I can look back now in the pattern of my life and, and really believe God has a purpose for me, but he also has a purpose for you. And on the other side of that is the enemy where he knows he knows where to hit. He knows to hit below the belt. He's going to have that fear be if you fail. And what if you fail in front of all these people? What if you fail and don't find someone in that lunchroom? What if your business fails? Whether it's you're staying home with your children and you're raising beautiful babies or you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar company, let God speak into your life. Let his father heart come and say, this is what I have for you. And I think that's the key, not believing the lies, fixing our eyes on Jesus and walking in that truth. As she's speaking there, the very last line is what I got really attached to, where she said that you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. Um, when my daughter runs cross country, um, we get there about an hour and a half before the meet starts. And we go as a team while they're actually running the race, and we will walk the course. And we'll look at the areas that are marked off, there's hazards out there. If it's been rainy and muddy, they try to move the kids through um, that so they're not going to get slipping. Sometimes they put hay bales out there, and you have to step over hay bales and different things like that. Um, but as you look at the course, it's very easy to say, well, there's danger here, and this is where you want to do this. And when she said about fixing your eyes on Jesus, in cross country, it's kind of hard. Because usually where you start isn't where you finish. You don't usually come back to that same line. Now, if you run a 5K, a lot of times your start and finish lines are the same places or within that same area there, and you can see the, the finish line when you take off. But in a cross-country meet, you're running through fields and you're running through woods and you have no idea. And it's almost like the struggle that we face is people that just walk through this life then we're not sure what's going to come. But if we begin to walk, we're not going to reach as far. We're not going to reach the potential. Or if we give up, like I talked about that guy before, you're never going to get anywhere. So what you do, and Brooklyn and I have this term that I use with her, I say, you got to chug. I said, you got to chug. I said, not worried about placing first. I told you how many people were in her meet. Two weeks ago, we're down there, and there were 800 people in her meet. And she looks at me, and whenever she finishes a race, she's looking for my approval. And I tell her, I said, you know, my, my approval is nothing. I said, you have to be satisfied with where you are in your heart. Because ultimately, that tells you if you put your effort out there. So you're running for your time. You're running for that goal at the end so you can cross the finish line. And the one thing I'll tell you about Brooklyn is this. My daughter doesn't stop running. She's not the fastest person. Matter, matter of fact, if people pass her, sometimes she just gets into this mode and she, she goes into almost like what we call the jog. But um, as she runs, um, 
she will always finish the race. She's always within a minute or two of her time. And I'm proud of her for that. And I know that that's the way that God looks at us through this journey. God's not expecting us to be the people in home and garden. God's not expecting us to be Tim Tebow. And everybody talks about him and stuff like that. But they are great examples that God has given us in our lives, in our world now, of people that even when they're faced with adversity, they continue to move on. You know, Tim Tebow, everybody was all over him because he didn't make an NFL team. And every time that I hear him speak, especially when he's speaking about Christ, every time that I see him in front of people, I don't see where it's been a big disaster in his life. That dream was never his, I guess. And especially at this point in time. But he has taken the best and continued to run the race, and he keeps on moving forward. In verses 2 and 3, it says this. If I can get my old eyes to read it. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endureth such opposition from sinful men, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. That's a runner statement to me. That's somebody that's in the middle of the race. Because you have to have something that you're going to fix your eyes on. I always tell Brooklyn, I said, when you finish that race and you come into that last 800, I said, you can see the finish line. And at that point in time, above everybody else's voices, you can usually hear me using, screaming the word kick. I will yell kick. Kick as hard as you can. Not trying to get her to be a winner, but just so she finishes strong. And when she finishes strong, there's a smile on her face. There's that, that thought that I've gone ahead and I've done every bit. And even though that there's a part of her that tries to please me, I relate that to my relationship with God. I'm always looking up at God saying, hey, did I do the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Did I do the right thing? And waiting for God to pat me on the head. And as I've gotten older, I found out that every time I look up there, God says the same thing. I'm always proud of you. I'm proud of you when you stumble, when you fall into sin. Not because you've sinned, but you come back to me. That you know that all those struggles in life aren't the things that are going to define you. That whatever is on your record down there, don't worry about it. The only thing that I'm worried about is where your record is with me. And that you show that kind of love. You know, when I started thinking about this sermon, I thought about running. It really wore me out. You don't get to my size and start thinking about doing exercise without instantly having a moment when you're sitting, boy, that really tires me out to think about it. And knowing that I can't eat Krispy Kreme donuts like I want to if I'm going to run. But a week and a half ago, I sat in my office over here, and in my devotion time, read a statement. It said, if you are going to fight for me, if you are going to be my representative, then you've got to look at like somebody, so when you talk to people, 
they can actually believe it. It's an appearance call. And I don't even know who the author of the little book I'm reading is. But I started looking at my life, and there's a lot of ways that I wasn't happy with my appearance. And one of them is physically. Now, Kendra's been through this with me before. Because I'll walk in the door, and I'll announce, I'm on a diet. And I did it. What really aggravates Kendra is, go on a diet... And I start to lose weight really quick, don't I? I mean, it's not, it's not any graven secret. If you want to know what I do, I, I mean, I eat very light in the morning. You know, if, if it's a bar or something that doesn't have a lot of calories in it, usually something with peanut butter. I'm a big dude about peanut butter, and I know that some people can't do that. Uh, but peanut butter is one of those things. But in the evening, my dinner consists of grilled chicken, baked chicken and broccoli that's it now what's great is I've become a great connoisseur of different things I can add in to change the flavor of I stink the house up as they told me last night they're all mad because I did garlic last night all over stuff and I love garlic but I'll walk in and I sit there and go my appearance has got to change I've got to lose weight in a week, a week I've lost 7 pounds and I haven't had a Krispy Kreme donut I've snuck some candy, not the big things, always the many things, and just one at a time. But as I, I do that, I've got a goal in mind. And my goal isn't, everybody, everybody looks at me, can't, I didn't tell you this, everybody goes, you trying to get in a Speedo for the cruise? And I said, absolutely not. I would not wish that on the world, <laughs> that they would ever have to see me in a Speedo. I said, what I'm doing is I'm trying to get ready, all ready for Valentine's Day when we run this 5K. Because last year I took off running, I did all right, but I know I could do a whole lot better. And it's like my relationship and my running with God. I know the areas in which I have to kind of curve. I know the areas in which I have to get control in. I know the sin that I let into my life. And I don't want it to be the thing that hinders me and pulls me back and keeps me from reaching the goal, not that Jeff has set, but that God set. Last thing I want to say is this. That whenever you finish, I always have this statement, it's finished strong. And on the back of my office door, I used to have this in a piece of paper. And finishing strong for me isn't about everybody knows you. I've written so many books. I have so many wonderful sermons people know and want my autograph. It's never been about that. Finishing strong for me has always been the day that I check out of here and I'm laying in a box. Will the people that come to see me, will the people that know me, will my God in heaven say that I've done all I could do and I've run the race well? And if I can sit there and say that God, when I get to heaven, he's going, you know what, you ran the race well. You weren't perfect, you struggled, you fell, but you finished strong. Those are the two words I, I long to hear. Yesterday was my father's 80th birthday. And as I was sitting around thinking about this sermon last night, I was thinking about somebody finishing strong. And I called dad and I said, hey, what are you doing on your birthday? He says, well, somebody's taking me out for my birthday. And 
So that's good because I had a thousand dollar gift card, but you're not getting it now because you're not going with us. No, I didn't say it. But I said, Dad, I said, um, I hope you have a good time. He said, Yeah. He says, After I come home from dinner, I got to study because I'm preaching at Ellesmere tomorrow. 80 years old. And I can't tell you how many times that when I call him, it does my heart good to know that he's still out there, even at 80 years old. And he's sharing Jesus in this world. And while it might not be in front of groups of 4,000 or 40,000 or 4 million, my father's run the race well. And he has set the pace for me in my life. God forgive me when I take my eyes off of that. The other thing was yesterday, my father shares a birthday with somebody that is 97 years old. And his name is Billy Graham. And in my culture, in my life, when I grew up, that was the name. And I think that even today that there are world leaders that fly into North Carolina, fly into Asheville, and drive over the hill to Montreat to his house to still meet with him because they know that they need that spiritual guidance. And I know that when he gets to heaven, he's going to get that man you finish strong. Even though he's frail and laying in a bed or sitting in a chair most of the time, you finish strong. Guys, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you, I don't know how I've made it this far in my life if it hadn't been for him. He's been the one thing in my life that when all the struggles come up beside me, that he says, keep on running. He's been my coach on my life's cross-country course that was running from point to point to point to tell me, hey, keep up the pace, you're doing good. And he was always the one, and had always been the one, that when I hit finish, he says, now kick. Kick harder. I can't imagine the struggles of this world today and not having somebody speak that into life. And if you don't have that, I would love the opportunity to tell you what that means for me. If you're a Christian... And you feel like, you know what, if I look back over my life, there's been stuff I've been tripping over and entangled with and it's been slowing me down and I really need to start taking my life serious, especially when it comes to this race that I run with God, I'll talk to you about that. Been there, done that. Fallen in the mud puddles, been wiped out, done my own thing and God lets me watch me run a little bit ahead and fall on my face and he comes and picks me up. Don't beat yourself up because that's the way that Satan makes this world. If there's something in your life that you just pray about and it just seems so far out of reach, whether it's been a loved one that doesn't know Christ, whether it's been somebody that you know needs Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, whether it's somebody that suffers with addiction problems, whatever it is, know this. Jesus Christ runs right beside you in your race. And he feels your pain and he knows where you struggle in that. And he's listening to every prayer you lift up. 
But if you need somebody to pray with you about that, I would love to do that. It's always my privilege to be here. I love the fact that Chris loves this service and there's a group of people that come in here every night and we're just ourselves. Sometimes it's better than a Sunday morning service because a lot of times I walk up there on the pulpit and I'm not sure people are being themselves. But in this moment, as we close this time together, know this as Chris leads us in a song, that wherever you are with God, he wants to strengthen your run in that race. He wants to give you the endurance to finish it and finish it strong.